Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin. What happens uh, when a community of people chooses the way of Jesus and to really take his gospel seriously and follow him? Uh, If you've been with us, we've been looking at Acts 3.1 all the way almost to the end of Acts 4. We're chopping it up into four scenes, but it's all one story. And what you need to know, if you missed the last few weeks, just podcast it, powerful things happen. Peter and John are on the way to a regular prayer meeting. A man who has been crippled from birth is stuck outside of worship, out at the gate. Peter and John look at him with love, reach out a hand, and in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, the crippled man is healed. He's made whole. He runs into the temple. He's worshiping. A crowd of people come around to find out where this power comes from. So everyone should be elated. God is at work. Lives are being changed for the good. But that is not where we see the trajectory of this story. Sometimes you step out of your comfort zone to serve at foster parents' night out. You take a couple of weeks to serve in another country like Uganda or Nicaragua or Iraq, and you give of yourself, you're generous, you love other people, you welcome people in Jesus' name, and sometimes things do not go well for you. That is a fact. And that's exactly where we see this story going. So let's just work through Acts 4. Remember, Acts 3, Acts 4, all one story. Miracle, then Peter explains, this is not a surprise. This is actually Jesus. Jesus is risen. So verse one, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people and they were greatly disturbed. And here's why. Because the apostles were teaching the people, more on that in a minute, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Luke makes it plain that it is the Sadducees that start to turn this crowd away from Peter and John, even though God used them to do a miracle. The Sadducees. Who, who are these people? Like, like today, if you say that you're a Christian, there are those from uh, different traditions. There's Baptist, there's Methodist, there's Pentecostal, uh, Charismatic, uh, Independent Bible, whatever. There's all sorts of views. Most Christians believe the core of the same thing, But there's some things that we hold differently. And the same thing in the first century. To be a Jew was not one thing. There were a variety of opinions about how you interpret the Bible and how you follow God. And the Sadducees had a particular strain about it. They were seen as the conservatives. As a matter of fact, you'd respect the Sadducees. Why? The Pharisees, which you see in Jesus' life, he encountered the Sadducees and Pharisees. The Pharisees, on one hand, took to the Torah, the five books of of Moses, and the prophets, and the writings, the Psalms, the Bible, and on top of that, the oral tradition. So there's 617 or so laws in the first five books of the Bible. The Pharisees held to 1,500 additional oral traditions, interpretations about how to live out the law. So the Pharisees in our day would be seen as the liberals in the sense of They're adding all these extra things to what God had said. Sadducees, on the other hand, they're the conservatives. No, as a matter of fact, they were so literal, they only took the first five books of the Bible as authoritative. So if you don't find it in the books of Moses, you don't necessarily follow it. Uh, Now, because of that, what do we know? 
They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead because you don't see a lot about demons, angels, the afterlife, resurrection in the first five books. The Sadducees said, well, we don't buy it. You see it in the writings, you see it in the prophets, but since you don't see it in Moses, we don't believe it. So when you die, you die, end of story. That's it. What a philosophy of life, right? That'd be be pretty amazing if it were true. When you die, you die, end of story. It's actually not true. We're going to find out because Peter and John remind them of something. But when you look at Acts 4, what's more important for this discussion is their political orientation. The Sadducees were the upper, upper crust. They lived in Forest Heights. They lived in Lake Oswego. They were the, they were the wealthy landowners of the day, and most people did not own land. And so they were smart. Rome ruled Jerusalem. Rome ruled the land called Israel. So they were in cahoots with Rome. And Sadducees, being Jews, provided peace. All Rome wanted was people to pay their taxes and to keep peace. Sadducees said, aha, they kept the peace for Rome. And in return, what they got was the ability to control the temple. So the Sadducees appoint the high priest. The Sadducees rule the temple. The Sadducees become what would be the equivalent of our Congress. They're our leaders, our representatives. But you need to know this. Everyone knows what the Sadducees are doing. They're going to do whatever it takes to keep the status quo. They're not going to rock the boat because who's going to be most impacted? If Rome gets mad, they kick the Sadducees out. So with that in mind, it makes sense for the Sadducees to try and squell this like unofficial meaning. This isn't official, but hundreds, if not thousands, are flocking to some nobodies. Peter and John are apostles. They're heroes in our mindset. You've got to remember, we're talking about weeks after Jesus died. Most people saw Peter and John as nobodies following a nobody leader who was executed. And so the Sadducees, trying to keep the peace, what do they do? Verse 3. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So they don't, they don't like send them off to, to prison. But what you do at the end of the day, because there wasn't time to convene a proper trial, they put them in a holding cell for the night so they could figure out what to do. They had the right to do that. Remember, Sadducees rule the temple ground. And because this commotion's happening at temple, they take them, they put them away. But look at the contrast that Luke gives us. This is so exciting. See, you can arrest the messenger, but you can't arrest the message. And this is the first instance of persecution against Jesus' followers. But Luke is going to tip it off even before the story ends. He can't help but say, They put Peter and John in prison, but many people believed. So the number of men went from 3,000 to 5,000 implication. It's more than a 2,000 number increase, 3,000 to 5,000. That's just the men. You can put Jesus' people in prison, but you can't stop the message. It goes viral. And the truth goes out and people believe. I think it's Tertullian, the church father of one of the early centuries 
after the resurrection of Jesus, said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You can stop Jesus' people for a moment. You can arrest them. You can kill them. But what happens is that seed of truth goes into the ground and it grows bigger. Same could be said today. In the most persecuted parts of the world, the Jesus movement is pushing forward. You cannot stop Jesus. So they seize them. They put them in prison. And then what happens? Uh, We see the next day, verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem and Annas, the high priest, was there. And so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. And they had brought Peter and John, uh, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Annas and Caiaphas, if you've read the Gospel of Luke. Remember, Luke is part one, Acts is part two. Luke already told us in part one, the Gospel, that Annas and Caiaphas are there at the arrest of Jesus. So put yourself, Peter and John are doing Jesus stuff. Someone's healed. And then they get a crowd, and then the leaders come against these people, that's exactly what happens to Jesus. And then they're arrested, exactly what happens to Jesus. And who do you find at your trial? Caius and, uh, Caiaphas and Annas, who are two of the people who listened to Jesus, stirred up the crowd, did not give them justice, gave Jesus an unfair trial, and had him executed. Even when Pilate wanted to let him go, they stir up the crowd to say, crucify him. So if you're Peter and John, at this point, you're like, yep. It happened to Jesus, and it's about to happen to us. They believe this is probably the end. And so uh, Annas and Caiaphas asked the same thing of Peter and John that they asked of Jesus. Just look at it here. By what power, verse 7, or what name did you do this. People want to know, Jesus, what's your authority? Who gives you the right? You're a nobody. You're not an official. You're not a Sanhedrin. You're not in Congress. You're not in charge of temple. What gives you the right to do what you're doing? Uh, in, in essence, what they're asking is, you're a nobody. Remember, these are the elite versus the fishermen. The rich versus the poor. Those with authority versus those who are visiting. So they have the right to be there, but they're not in charge. So oftentimes people with a little bit of clout like to thumb it in your face. Who do you think you are coming in here and messing with the temple? Let's just look at their response. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. He's being respectful. He knows he's talking to people in charge. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, well, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Talk about a finger pointing session. They point the finger and say, what right do you have to do this? They're like, okay. Yeah, a guy was healed. Sorry. But um, it happens to be Jesus, you know, Christ of Nazareth, in case they don't know who Jesus is. And it's the guy that you killed. Fighting words. 
Peter has no problem speaking the truth. Sometimes with love, but sometimes they just need to hear it. All right. Verse 9. If we've been called an account today for an act of kindness, show the man who was lame, being asked how he was healed. Know this. You know the people. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And so Peter and John simply say what has happened. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. I want us to catch this. Because sometimes when you choose to step out in Jesus' name, things do not go according to plan. Sometimes when you feel like faith is rising up and you need to do something, things don't go according to your mindset. Things go south. Things get worse for you when you choose the way of Jesus. You need to know that there is a difference between you facing trials, temptations, opportunities, and you filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, before the Spirit comes, Peter, at the end of the Gospels, Luke 20, is told by Jesus. Uh, Peter says, I'm I'm never going to deny you, Jesus. I'm always going to follow you. And Jesus says, look, before before the rooster crows three times, you are going to deny me. I know what's going to happen. No, 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 I'll never do it. And Peter, according to what Jesus had already said, he's brought in and Jesus is on trial. And some servants noticed that, that Peter is speaking the same dialect as Jesus. Hey, weren't you one of the followers? No, I wasn't. And then another one comes. Hey, aren't you that Galilean? Are you? No, 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 no. And then another one comes like, I know. I, you're the Jesus guy. And he curses and says, I don't know the man. And the Bible says in Luke 20 that when Peter caved into temptation, When he didn't seize his moment, he wept bitterly. So Peter knows what it's like to fail. Ever feel that way? Like you've been following Jesus for a while and you tried and you found yourself falling flat. The thing I said I would never do, I did. Or I know that this time I'm going to follow through and you found yourself giving up or quitting too early. If you've ever felt that way, listen, you're not alone, but... Luke brings out a distinction. There is Peter trying to do it in his own energy, Luke 20, trying to resist, trying to do it. Then there is Peter, Acts 4, filled with the Holy Spirit. So what you and I, the implication that Luke is giving us, is we need to rely in these moments. We we don't need to rely on our own ingenuity, on our own can-do-it attitude and our own power. What we need to grow in as a people is the reliance on the Holy Spirit's filling and power and enablement that in the moment we'll have the courage, we'll have the strength, we'll have the boldness. And Luke is saying, writing decades after this happens, Jesus' people are filled with the Spirit. And if you're a Jesus person, you have the Holy Spirit. So rely on the Spirit to use you. Let the Spirit give you courage. Let the Spirit provide you with holy sarcasm. This is great. If you look at, if you, if you look, um, Carmen and I, we were, we were born and raised in New York, and still to this day, the something about the Jewish people, they could be beautifully sarcastic. They could, and now other cultures do it too, so I'm not, I'm not you know, finger pointing. But, but Peter, being a good Jew, let's just look at it again. Verse 8. Rulers and elders of the people for being called on account for an act of kindness. You see the sarcasm? You're stopping. You, you interrupted our meeting because we were nice. We were loving. Oh, by the way, the crippled guy, and again, I'm reading into the text, but they know the scenario. Going on. The crippled guy's on the outside. You don't even let him in. 
You have the temple guards keeping this guy out because he doesn't fit the mold. Oh, by the way, he's able to come in now. We're the ones who stop and lift him up. And yet you want to stop us. If on account of kindness that's shown to the man who was lame, are being asked how he healed him, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, so everyone needs to hear it, it's the name of Jesus who you crucified, but God raised, that this man stands before you healed. So, so Peter is able to even use a sarcastic comment at the right time to get the attention of not only the Sanhedrin, but the rest of the rulers. So, so what does Peter do and what can we get from this? Look at verse 11. He says, Jesus is, and then he quotes Psalm 118. The stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. So verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? Now, it not only gives, gives us boldness and words to speak. As a matter of fact, Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 15, 16, when they bring you before rulers and authorities, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Spirit is going to give you the words to speak. So Peter, even though he's ordinary, unschooled, regular guy, has given the authority. He's a nobody in front of somebody's. But he can stand toe-to-toe and argue with the best. But more than that, we see that the Holy Spirit illumines the Scriptures. And we need to get that. Not only will the Spirit give you the words to speak, but the Holy Spirit will give you the right insight in what God has already said. Now, we just pound this week after week in this community, but it's worth hitting again. It is worth your time to read the Scriptures. It is never, ever, ever a waste of time to open the Bible and read. And so many times we read it and like, man, I don't even get it. Even when you don't get it, get it. Read it. Digest it. Read it again. And side note, because I love you and it's spring break, there are so many free online tools. Go to Bible, uh, BibleGateway.com or .org. Uh, go, go to Blue Letter Bible. There just search Bible tools. There's so many free resources that give insight into the text. In a sense, there's no excuse for us. Free resources. He's like, oh, I don't like the translation. Every translation known to mankind and aliens is online for free. You want to read it in German? It's there. You know Portuguese? It's there. It's all there. So Peter and John know the scriptures, and at the moment... They're speaking to the Sadducees, who are the most educated. Peter knows what to say. Psalm 118. Now, how did he know that Psalm 118 is the right thing to say? The stone you build is rejected has become the capstone. Psalm 118 is one of those psalms. First speaks about the nation of Israel, but then Jesus reinterprets it. We don't have time, but um, in Luke, we find that Jesus Uh, gives a parable against the religious leaders. We won't read it for time, but in Luke 20, we find that Jesus gives a parable about a vineyard. There was a land and a vineyard, and a guy owned it, and he sent people to give instructions to the people working the land. But the people working the land rejected the people that the the ruler had sent. And then the ruler says, I'm going to send my son, because certainly they'll listen to my son. Jesus is just telling the story. 
They'll respect my son. But what do the, what do the land uh, workers do? They take the son and they kill the son. So Jesus tells the story. He said, now what is the owner of the land, the ruler, going to do when they realize that these little nobodies kill the son? He's going to destroy them and kick them out. And then the Bible says in Luke that Jesus points to the leaders, the same leaders, and he's speaking against them. I'll throw it on the screen, Luke 20, 19. The teachers of the law, when they heard Jesus say these things, looked for a way to arrest Jesus immediately because they knew he had spoken the parable against them, they were afra- but they were afraid of the people. The teachers of the law are afraid of Jesus because they're afraid of the people's opinion about Jesus. Guess what? In Acts 4, the same thing happens. Now it's Peter and John, same exact scenario. Jesus quotes in that parable, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Jesus reinterprets Psalm 118 and says, it's about me. I'm the son. You religious leaders are the land workers who should be working for the ruler, the father in heaven, but instead you're killing the prophets and now you're about to kill the son and the father is gonna come and rebuke you and bring new leaders to take care of God's land. Peter and John are part of the new leaders. You and I are part of the new leaders, the new people who actually follow the way of Jesus. But this made the establishment so upset that they looked for a way to kill Jesus and now they're looking for a way to kill his apostles. Now, what, what is, what is uh, Peter's conclusion? Look back at verse 12 from Acts 4. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be Saved. There is a name that is above every name. And this is going to get to the heart. We'll read the rest of the text, but we're going to come back to this in a bit. This is the heart. This is what really irks the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the temple guards, is when Peter takes this stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the capstone, the chief stone. And the visual is there. You're building a wall for the temple. You're building this great, beautiful thing. And you see this one stone over here, and you say, no, that's ugly, that's inappropriate, it doesn't work, so you cast it aside. Then someone else comes in and says, no, that is the chief stone, the most important stone. And then they take it, put it in the place of prominence. Visual. The psalm is speaking about Jesus, who will be rejected. Jesus is a nobody. Jesus is not a a, a godly man. Jesus is a fraud. Jesus is evil, and the people reject Jesus. But God, not man, God sees that stone, his very son. And God lifts up his stone, his son, and puts him in the place of authority and says, no, he's not any old stone. He's the most important. As a matter of fact, the whole wall collapses without this stone. It's speaking about Jesus. So in Jewish language, in using the Psalms, which the Sadducees know by heart, Peter makes the application. Salvation is found in this one person, this one stone. Now, this sounds like, well, that, that's very, that, that was 2,000 years ago. That's not like today. You just need to know this. The culture of the first century is identical to the culture today. 
religious pluralism. That is, there are many faiths, many beliefs. As a matter of fact, if you're a Roman, you believe that there are many gods and many ways to appease the many gods. So you worship as many gods as you can. And you're, you're ultra-religious. You don't want to dishonor the gods because the gods come and squash you. So honor the gods. As a matter of fact, Jews stuck out amongst the Roman citizens because Jews believed, no, 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 no. There is one name. It's the name of Yahweh. It's the creator God. What makes the religious leaders so mad is, is, is Peter doesn't contradict them, but he clarifies it. No, it is not just the name Yahweh as given to Moses centuries prior. That name is now Jesus. Jesus is the God of Israel. Not just a prophet sent to the people of Israel, but in, in, in Peter and John's mind, Yahweh is, is Jesus. Jesus is the God of Israel. Father and Son. This was a new concept to them. But they are one. So God, Yahweh, has come in the person of Jesus. So because that is true, it's a nuanced view, but it, it, it gets these guys killed later on. That they stood up for the reality that it's not just the creator God, but the creator God has come in the one man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So to reject Jesus Christ is to reject Yahweh. And they'd already rejected Jesus because Peter reminds them they crucified Jesus. And this is what flies in the face of most people today when they think about becoming a Christian. Free food, everyone's for that. Singing some songs, a few people are into that. Uh, Fun and, and getting together in homes and hanging out, that's totally cool. But to stand up today in the Portland metro area and say, there is no other name under heaven by which all of mankind, east side, west side, south side, rich, poor, Intel, Nike, Starbucks, I don't care where you are from, there's only one way to the Father and it is through the Son, Jesus. So to reject Jesus is to reject God. So you cannot tell me that you're gonna find a way to God other than Jesus because Jesus said that there is only one way. John 14, we know it. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one, how many? No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the exclusive claim that kills people. So many people want to become a Christian. They want to join, but when they hear that, they're like, no possible way. Now, how can they, how can they do this? We'll get back to that in a minute. Let's just finish reading the rest of the text. Verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I just love this. I love it. We hate what you're saying, but we cannot deny the evidence of this Jesus that you say you're following. And this is that... This is that balance. There is something about really following Jesus that puts us in rightness with God and it does something in us that is absolutely undeniable and attractive. Yet at the same time, we have to deal with the reality that most people are like Romans in the first century or even Jews, do not say that Jesus is the way. 
Now, they were ordinary and unschooled. What is that all about? Unschooled is the word uh, agrammatoi, which means they were lacking in grammar. They were not trained in rabbinical teaching. So this is very technical language. Luke reminds us that Peter and John weren't officially rabbis. They weren't, they weren't trained like the Sadducees. It's a comparison here. On one side, you have the PhDs, the Sadducees. On the other side, you have this agrammatoi, these people who are unschooled. And then they're, they're ordinary. They're idiotai. They're idiots. It actually, it, that's where we get the word idiot, but he's not looking down on them. To be idiotai is to simply be a layman, an unofficial person. So, stacked, it's like a boxing ring. Sadducees, PhDs, official ruling class. Next to them, Peter and John, agrammatoi. They have no formal teaching. Idiotai. They're just they're ordinary. And Remember, Peter filled with the what? Holy Spirit. And this is the contrast. The people who should most elegantly live the Spirit-filled life are not. The ordinary nobodies are filled with the Spirit and have evidence that is undeniable. So this speaks to, I think, life for us today. You may feel more like Peter and John than the Sadducees. And I think that's where most of us are. We're unschooled, ordinary, regular people trying to honor God, trying to do the right thing. And you just need to know this. Luke reminds the church decades later, that's the kind of people Jesus is looking for. Jesus does not need PhDs. Now look, if you have a PhD, fantastic. No problem. Wonderful. If you study theology and understand the works of God and read church history and understand the classics, that's beautiful. Look, I'm growing and you ought to grow as well. But know that those labels, those badges, those vests, those whatever you want to call it, they are not the most meaningful thing to honor God in our day. It's that we live filled with the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit to use ordinary stuff to do extraordinary things. And let me tell you, friend, do not underestimate the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit will do through you. You may say, I'm ordinary, I'm regular, I'm just a... I'm just a single mom. I'm just trying to raise kids and trying to figure life out. Do not underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to transform single mom into wonder woman, so to speak, who raises kids to love and honor Jesus and is used in great ways for the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to single out one group. Just put your name in there, wherever you find yourself. He uses the unqualified. Now, I learned this this contrast and this balance. Uh, in 2002, so about 13 years ago, uh, my brother and I, my brother lives in Estonia. He had just moved there and we were doing an outreach for lots of cities, a three-week outreach tour. And we did stuff for lawyers and business people and school stuff and teachers and doctors and everything. And a, a door opened to do an outreach for the president and parliament. And, and God opened the door. The president attended. Half of parliament attended. And I'm the guest speaker. And we're sitting around tables. And I am ordinary unschooled. I am, I am 29 at the time. I do not know Estonian. I don't understand the country at all. But I do know Jesus. And so here I am sitting across from the president. And we have all sorts of people, dignitaries around the table. And to my right, there's a couple that helped organize this outreach. Christian couple, lovely couple. 
but the the wife of the guy who was organizing it was was uh, Estonia's EU representative. Like you can't get higher than this guy, and so um, and and he'd also been not the president but the prime minister of the country. Just like little stuff, you know. And so his wife leans over to me and says, "Hey, I know you're going to get up and speak, but." I just want you to know this is an important occasion. This has never, never happened before. This is an important occasion, and we don't want to offend, and so we don't want to tell these people what to believe. Rather, we want to stir them towards faith. You, you, I, I know in America they have a way of doing things. Basically, don't embarrass me, and don't embarrass my husband. And so I was like, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And the spirit within me, I think the Holy Spirit had boxing gloves on. Because the spirit within me said, that is from the enemy. And so I got up and did exactly what I planned to do. There is no under name under heaven by which all men and women must be saved. And it's Jesus. And that day, some of the politicians gave their lives to Christ. But more than that, what I did not know is that God would stir some of the Christians in politics. And that little event has grown to become an annual event. And for the last 13 years, the president, the prime minister, and parliament get together under the name of Jesus. And not only did it happen in the capital, but then other cities around Estonia said, we want to do something ourselves. So local mayors and local governors and local officials are doing these things in the name of Jesus because one idiot (laughs) refused to back down. So... So what does Peter, what do Peter and John do? So let's keep continuing. Verse 14. Since they could see the man who had been healed standing there, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, a.k.a. a miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They can't even say the name Jesus. Then they call them in again and command them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? I love it. (laughs) Sarcasm, do you hear it? We got you and we got God. You say don't speak in the name. God says differently. Again, it's, it's sarcasm, but it's tasteful, which is, which is a good thing. Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened. For the man who, had, who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So Peter and John are filled with the Spirit and the undeniable wins the day. And so they're threatened. What does it say to us? It says, when you and I stand up and we choose to live out the Jesus way, when we live out the gospel, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to accept it, but you and I are going to have to choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the boldness to stand up and not be mean. 
is, is, is Peter being mean? Is John being mean? No. But they are standing up for what's right, and you and I are called to do the same. Now, this is not the end of the story. Remember, all of three and almost all of four is one story. We're going to save the last scene for next Sunday. But in light of that, and, and, and to prepare ourselves for next week, which I hope you're here, here's my point. Don't stop and don't back down on sharing Jesus. Don't. Don't ever give in to that temptation. And if you have, don't kick yourself in the rear. Just next time, remind yourself, Peter failed before he was filled with God's Holy Spirit. And that's okay. But now, remember, I have been filled with the Spirit and I do not have to back down. Two uh, applications as we prepare ourselves to go to the table. First is this, no other name. This is the problem. Um, At the time of Jesus, Pluralism ruled just like pluralism rules in our day. And it was politically incorrect then to say that Jesus is the only way to the divine. It was completely politically incorrect. It was then and it is today, but it's not logically incorrect. And this is the point I want to make. To say that Jesus and this exclusive claim that there's no other name is politically incorrect, yes. But it's not logically incorrect. Because uh, some would say today, you, you can't do that. Because in our culture, let's just pick some of the belief systems in the Portland metro area. There's Hinduism. There's people fear from all over the world. And Hindus believe that there are, there, there's a, there are steps to the divine. And there is this highest divine. But there are many gods and they're all to be worshipped. And so Jesus, to worship him is okay. But not Jesus alone. There are many gods. And many paths to the many gods. And we must honor the many gods. And let's just think of Islam. We have mosques growing all around the Portland metro area. And there is no God but Allah and his prophet Muhammad. Now Peter and John aren't included in that and Jesus isn't included in that. So if Muhammad contradicts Jesus in an Islamic system, Muhammad is right and Jesus is wrong. And in the Quran, Muhammad contradicts Jesus. So you got Hindus say multiple ways. You have Muslims say there's one way, but it's the path of the prophet Muhammad. And what do we do when we look at our own belief system? We say it's politically incorrect, but it's not logically incorrect. We say that there is one son, and his name is Jesus, and the Father sent the Son, and whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son, 1 John says, does not have life. Now, are these belief systems consistent with each other? Absolutely not. So the one thing we want to remind ourselves, what we want to be is nice and courteous. But it is actually not nice and not courteous to say that Hinduism and Islam and Christianity are all saying the same thing. That's logically inconsistent. And for us to suggest that, not only is it biblically untrue, it's actually unkind. The kindest thing we can say is I understand that in the Quran, one must listen to the prophet Muhammad. But I might suggest that in order to know God, Jesus says. We're inconsistent with each other, but what I must do is say there is no other name. That is, there is going to be a rub. There is going to be a rub. We can't avoid it. 
Now, what we can avoid is being foolish and obnoxious. So I don't go outside the mosque and stand there and say you're going to hell. That's rude and obnoxious and doesn't display the love of Jesus. But we have a delicate balance. Peter and John were being asked to back down on the source of their salvation. And they had to come back to verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else because there's no other name under heaven given by God by which all mankind must be saved. So what do I do in this pluralistic society that we live in? I pray and ask the Spirit to fill me with words of wisdom to be able to lovingly and accurately take the worldview that people find themselves in and make a path towards Jesus and present Jesus as this wonderful solution to all of life's challenges, Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises. It is politically incorrect, but it is not logically incorrect. We cannot back down to the name. So what do we do? We, we disagree with respect. We respect, we admire, we find good in every system because there is good in every system, but every system is not ultimately good. Because any system that points me away from Jesus as the only name by which mankind must be saved is in the end actually destructive. Delicate balance. That's why Luke tells us, Peter, filled with the Spirit. You don't get this by being combative. You get this right by being filled with the Spirit. So in love, we must speak up, but we must speak up. Second thought is Peter reached out his hand. Remember, this is all one story, and so we can miss the context and get ourselves thrown, thrown off. Why is Peter having this discussion? Why? Is this an intellectual debate on a university campus? Absolutely not. Why are they having this discussion in the first place? Because Peter had the audacity to reach out to a broken, hurting person in love when everyone's tipping him or walking by. So what does this say to us? Yes, we stand up for the exclusive claims of Jesus. We don't back down. We believe it. We know that it rubs against the arrogance of being American that says my way is right and you can't tell me I'm wrong. But in love, we say, oh, it sounds attractive, but there's no other name. And I didn't say it and tell you. Let me tell you, I would rather it wasn't true. But Jesus, who is so trustworthy, has reminded us he's provided the way. And I'm going to stick with Jesus. I love you, and I'm not going to fight you. But man, when I look at the whole package, I find that Jesus is the most appealing. So I do that, but I do that with action first. Notice, it is the action of love that stirred the debate. So what does it say to us who choose to follow? Jesus. It would be best if people asked us questions because it made them mad because we were so loving. This goes against the whole philosophy is I must argue Christianity as to be the most accurate and consistent true system of all true systems. What gets these guys in trouble? They take the risk and love the guy who's most broken. If we choose to live like Jesus, like Peter and John, and love the broken, it will stir up controversy. (laughs) When you say that you do what you do, not because you're just generous and kind and philanthropic, because the love of Jesus compels me. 
Why do you, why do you always, why are you always, why do you, why do you? I'm telling you, Jesus, jack me up. You follow Jesus and you'll find yourself different on the inside. You'll find that your desires begin to change. You'll find that you want to give away what you most often want to keep. You'll find that you want to bless the people you don't even know. I can't help it. It's Jesus that stirs the controversy and love done in his name. It means that we live for the good of others. It means we live for Jesus. We choose to live like Jesus. And when we choose to live like Jesus, God will open the door to speak about the name. Rather than, I'm right, you're wrong, and get in line. That kind of Christianity is repulsive. And many people in this room have been burned by it. I had some Jesus person waving the finger at me, and he didn't even know I I was hurting. He didn't lift the finger to help me out. He didn't understand what I was going through. All he kept saying was, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What I am saying is we do speak Jesus, but first we stick out the hand. And we live like Jesus. So two questions to guide our thinking throughout spring break where we eat junk and, and, and repent later. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do this week at least. Two questions to ask. What is God asking you to do? And then who's God put on your heart to speak to? It's action and words. It's words and action. It's, now sometimes it's the words first and then the actions. I think most often for us, it's going to be actions first. What is God asking you to do in his name? And then who's he asking you to speak to?